for women, like you have to recognize your worth. So for a lot of women, I tell them, even though you're not looking, if an opportunity comes for you to interview, take it. Because a lot of times you're going to learn what the market for your skills and experience is willing to offer you. And sometimes we're not getting that information in our workplaces. We have to get that information from like someone on the outside who's willing to like maybe give us 10K or 15K more. Adelia, welcome to Money Bites. Hi, so excited to be here, Minky. Thank you for inviting me. Very, very excited. Our resident intro question, could you give me two bullet points? One, a quick intro of yourself, and then two, a trivia, a surprising fact about yourself. Those are always fun. A quick intro, I currently live in Brooklyn, New York. I've lived here for about seven years, but I'm originally from the Bay Area, but I actually have a background in higher ed and nonprofit. And for the past five years, I've been coaching or working in tech adjacent roles where I'm either recruiting or coaching candidates trying to break into tech. It's been a very fun journey. I'm also a mom. My son just graduated this week. So I have a high school graduate in my house who is graduating college. Thank you. Fun fact about me. I actually enjoy the outdoors. I grew up with an aunt and uncle who loved to go camping. So it's very interesting when I share with people that I love camping and doing things outdoors. I think maybe because I live in Brooklyn, people are like, what is that? But I can pitch a tent. My son was a Cub Scout. So I remember going to one event where it was all boys and being one of the moms that could pitch a tent and just spend all day with the boys doing, I think we did some outdoor activities. So it was very enjoyable. But yeah, that's a fun fact about me. Survival skills. I have <laughs> never gone camping in. I'm not sure if I have it in me <laughs> to try it out, but that's awesome. Second resident question. What is your first memory of money? My first memory of money is I remember having a piggy bank. So my parents immigrated uh, to the United States from El Salvador. So they were really big on saving. So I remember having a piggy bank. I remember like always like my dad telling me how change could be rolled up into little packets and we could go to the bank. And I remember at an, we were around 10 that we opened our first savings account, my brother and I, because my mom and dad were really big on us saving money. Do you think that has impacted your current relationship with money? I definitely think so. Quite interesting. My partner a couple of weeks ago commented that I'm really good with money and I was taken aback because I'm like, really? (laughs) I think I've learned from my mom and dad a lot about budgeting. The other thing too is recognizing where to put your money at. I think over the years, I've also learned like there's things that are kind of priceless, (laughs) Mm. that it's worth spending. So for example, health, mental health activities that help you with your personal health. I realized those are things that you can't really put a price on if it's actually going to help you in the long run. I love that being very keen on your money priorities because money shouldn't just be money. It should equate to some kind of a value that you get out of it intrinsic to your life and your core values and align. Definitely. 
on that, though, to be able to use money for what it's worth, your top line salary needs to be somewhat commiserated of it. Can we talk to your jump from higher ed to the tech? Um, Was salary a part of your thought process in that jump? It was part of it. I think the major drive was just how I was spending my day. I've worked in several roles and since college, it was always like nine to five. I worked in nonprofit local government in the San Francisco Bay Area and I had a son when I was 25. So for me, it was always about time. I felt like eight to five really cut into the activity activities that were really important to me, like picking up my son from school. I pursued a master, so I, I had to do it after work. And for me, it was always, isn't there an opportunity for us to be more flexible with our hours and maybe at home do some of that work and not be in the office? So flexibility was a major drive. The other one was definitely income. I felt like in all the jobs, there was a ceiling I hit and it was you know, standard. This is how much people have to make in this field. And after you complete so many hours. And when I made the jump into tech around 2016, when I did recruiting, I realized there wasn't those barriers you could negotiate. And from there, I was like, you know, I think this is a better path for me. I really appreciate the constant theme of you deriving, like, what are your core values and incorporating that into your career as well. As you were transitioning, you mentioned that as a first-gen immigrant, there were mental ceilings that you also had to break through in terms of qualifications, in terms of how to even get into tech, etc. How did you make that transition? Ironically, because I was in higher ed, I was focusing on freshmen and sophomore students that worked in STEM. And it was then, I was in Brooklyn by that time, and it was then that I started to see that there were other skills that are needed to succeed in tech roles. Being adaptable, being flexible, being a problem solver. Even though I've lived in near Silicon Valley for many years, I just assume you have to be a programmer. You have to have like some computer science background. Like how do you transition to these roles? Or you probably had to have like some hard skill like marketing, accounting. And my skills were more based on workforce development, case management, working one-on-one with candidates, and also building partnerships with employers. So I didn't really see the connection until I started working with students and just researching the roles and learning more about the tech industry here in New York City. And I realized a lot of these companies, when I went to like their open houses, I would attend events and people would share that they came from non-tech roles. Like I remember there was a musician who transitioned into an engineering role. There was folks who did nonprofit and were in tech. And I realized, oh, this is more about how you can contribute and work on a team and help like find a solution. And from there, I realized I would like an opportunity to work in tech in whatever capacity. And after doing that academic year working with the STEM students, that's when I was called by a staffing agency to do a recruiter role with Google. And I realized, oh, this is how 
a lot of people transition into tech. It's not always like they apply online. There's different avenues that they get in. And for me, the avenue was a staffing agency reaching out to me and realizing, hey, you have skills because you work with college students that could benefit the campus recruiting team at Google. How did you get yourself out there in terms of like networking? What do you think was the most important in getting your foot in the door? One of the key things is every process, it's not just about going through a referral like a staffing agency, but being able to share your career narrative. So I remember the person at the staffing agency, we actually worked together like several years before he was just starting as a recruiter and he gave me very helpful advice. I remember Sway was his name about what they want you to present in the interview process. So a lot of it was just being detail oriented and sharing, you know, the volume of candidates I worked with, the day-to-day routine, which aligned with recruitment. So for me, I realized it's not just being good on paper, but being able to market yourself to a stranger. And I was very fortunate that one of the people that interviewed me had worked for Teach for America. So there was a lot of alignment, like they understood my passion for working with young adults and they understood like, oh, this parallels a lot of what we do in recruitment. But I think the major thing I learned is you can't assume people understand your career trajectory. You have to walk them through it. That's a really great advice. I feel in our generation, we need to wear several hats. One is we need to be our own best safety net when it comes to finances. But I also really do believe we need to be our best PR advocates when it comes to our careers or other aspects of life. Yeah. You mentioned this in our pre-call, but I think it can be a bit harder for, and I'm obviously generalizing, but a bit harder for women to be fierce advocates of themselves, even when they rally up the team when it comes to their colleagues, when it comes to their friends, when it comes to their family. I agree. And I think as a woman of color, it is harder. I think, I know for myself, it's like, My parents taught me to be modest and humble. So talking about yourself and your achievements, it seems like you're bragging. But when I was working in a nonprofit, there was a company I started in the Bay Area, which is close to face to Meta now in uh, Menlo Park. I worked there for four years and I worked alongside males and females of different backgrounds. And I think they mentored me and taught me if you're not speaking up for yourself, nobody's going to know what you're doing. So Mm -hmm. I think I was very fortunate that I had both male and female managers who taught me that even though they knew the good work I was doing, it was very important that I had to showcase it and share it. Just because you turn in a resume, people don't, you know, they're not going to research everything on your resume. So for me, it was, I think, having that job after college where I spent like four years and just understanding, oh, this is how people move in an organization. This is what you have to say in meetings. So I feel like for folks that come from nonprofit, it is good training ground for you to kind of recognize like these are important skills. The other thing is as a first-gen college graduate, I actually did an AmeriCorps program called Public Allies. 
And one of the key components was they placed us in a full-time position, which ended being my full-time job afterwards, but they gave us leadership training every Friday. So I think having that piece, like having an organization that taught me how to advocate for myself really helped me as I transitioned to the workforce and started my career path after college. What would you say is the number one lesson you took away from that leadership program? And I'm particularly interested because right now, during my day job, aside from Winnie, I am realizing that it's it's actually not just about managing up with your manager in being a good PR of what you work on. You actually have to showcase across the org, across to other leaders who are going to be in that mashup where they're going to discuss, hey, is Minky worthy of a promotion? Is she worthy of et cetera? And you need to cross-pollinate, not just with your manager, but yeah, that PR aspect has been a really hard lesson to learn. So yeah, would love to hear what what was the number one lesson in in that leadership program? It's funny, I, I still keep in touch. I have good friends through that program because it was a cohort of almost 30 students that just graduated from college or maybe were transitioning into the workforce. I think the key thing I learned was being open to the fact that even though someone may not look like you or share a same background, there are similarities. So for example, we had people from different majors, from different socioeconomic classes in this group. But I think at the end of the day, we were there because we wanted to help our community. And moving forward, I I think I always just realized, give people the benefit of the doubt. I know in some organizations, they always say, always assume good intent. So it's really important. And I coach a lot of candidates on this is it's great that you work with people and you go to meetings, but I feel like do take the time to get to know them, go have coffee. I know we live in a zoom world, you know, ask to have a one-on-one with them because it really does make a difference when you get to know someone and you're collaborating on projects. I think one of the best ways you can stand out, like when it comes to promotions or moving up in a company is having those projects that you collaborate with people and they can speak to your experience. Like Mm -hmm. I really enjoyed working with Minky or I really enjoyed working with Delia because even though it was a three month project, you're syncing together, you're meeting up. So I've been always open to just getting to know people and their story. And I think that is the number one thing I learned from this leadership program. Like don't assume people's story, like get to know them. And a lot of times you have so much more in common than you think. And it also just makes it easier for you to work with them because you actually know them as people, not just as colleagues. That's awesome. Humanize yourself and your colleagues. I also really enjoyed uh, what you shared about in terms of myths of getting into tech to look beyond just the manga companies. So I think for me, I really enjoyed recruiting at Google. It was great to have an experience at a huge tech company where you realize it's kind of like the model that other companies follow in terms of hiring, in terms of the day-to-day schedule. But I think the hardest part of my job was rejecting candidates 
And these were stellar students from like around the world, not only the U.S. And part of it I recognize is they had their hearts set on Google or a bigger company. And a lot of times they didn't realize, even if you start at a smaller company, you can always work your way up and actually work with mangoes. So through that experience, I realized, you know, I, I want to go back and coach, especially first gen or students coming from non-traditional backgrounds to recognize, you know, if you have a passion, you just need your foot in the door. And a lot of smaller companies are willing to help you get that. There's a website I like called Built-in, which features a lot of tech startups throughout the U.S. And a lot of the companies are amazing and they know that they're competing with the manga. So a lot of times, you know, they're just excited to have someone that's willing to come in uh, to problem solve and having a different background also helps because I tell a lot of my job candidates, like your perspective is what's going to help either the product or the website or the app, like you have a better understanding of the user. So for me, I always like to educate folks that it's not just programming, there's like marketing roles, there's operations, there's customer service. Um, I remember one of my colleagues shared like in a workshop that over 40% of jobs are non-tech in a lot of these companies. So a lot of the things that I do with job seekers is help them understand like it's not just coding. It's the fact that you love a challenge. You love to work with teams. You love to be collaborative. These are things that a lot of these companies are looking for. And if you want that challenge, like this can be the place for you to actually succeed. Would you share in addition to Build It other resources that are great at searching for these type of roles? Sure. I'll give a shout out to some of like the favorite websites that I share with students. So Trabaja, Shannon Morales uh, is doing a great work with folks that are from underrepresented backgrounds trying to get into tech. They have this wonderful conference that they do every year. The other one is Diversify Tech. The Benny is the person that shares all the resources and she on her website not only has a job board, but she also shares communities that folks can tap into. So I know that LinkedIn can be overwhelming. So I tell a lot of folks, there's a lot of organizations based on affinity, LGBTQIA, if you identify as Black, if you identify as Latinx, Native American, if you are neurodivergent, if you are a female, there's all these different communities that you can tap into. And Diversified Tech is a great resource. The other one is Posit, People of Color in Tech. They have a weekly newsletter and the other one it used to be Angels List, but it's called WellFound now. So it provides a list of startups that are hiring. But what I love is that they have a newsletter. So every week they're letting you know of who's hiring, what are the trends, just so that you're aware, like folks are still hiring in tech, but you kind of have to know who is actually building these systems. So for example, health tech is a huge thing that's growing. So is climate tech. So these are two fields that most people, unless, you know, they talk to someone or know someone in that field, but it's an emerging field that's growing. How do you keep abreast of the trends in tech? Through the newsletters. I also, I think working with job seekers, you hear about their 
interviews and who's interviewing them. So a lot of the job seekers that I work with through Skill Crush come from not only all over the United States, but all over the world. So a lot of times they educate me and just say, hey, this is something that's interested to me. And this is a resource I found. And I'm like big on filling myself with knowledge. So I try to look at the resources. If there's a newsletter, I automatically sign up. But a lot of times it's through newsletters that I'm like realizing, oh, this is what's going on. And I see where this is going because I'm just getting a lot of knowledge and tidbits on a weekly basis. Mm. As you're going into tech though, one of the things that stood out in our conversation was you had a list of non-negotiables and it wasn't just a minimum salary while salary is super important and we'll get into that but your non-negotiables how did you come up with that list and how has that played out in terms of your work-life balance career search etc a great question i think because my number one role is being a mother so for me it was that's the lens that I looked it at. Like I always tell folks, like I go into interviews and I know a lot of women are always worried about, do I share that I'm a mom? Like, how do I bring it up? But for me, it's like, it's really important because I also want to know, is this a workplace that is open to parents? Parents have other activities that we are involved with our students, with our kids. So for me, it was important, like flexibility. So the non-negotiables really came just from my experience working before tech and other environments and just recognizing like, what are the things that I didn't enjoy? And what are the things that I needed to be successful in my role? So when I work with job seekers, the way I frame non-negotiables is what's going to help you be successful in your role? So for me, that includes like leadership that is very transparent, leadership that welcomes ideas from the staff. The other thing is collaboration, knowing that I'm not going to be the lone soldier, but I have a team to count on. And the other key thing is recognizing that the workday isn't just nine to five, but there is a lot of flexibility in how people do work and how they contribute. So I always like to ask questions on, along the lines of how are projects assigned? What are the goals of the project? Because I really look at the way I work now as more project-based. You know, I'm working in different contracts, managing different projects. But at the end of the day, I realize I don't want to wait to have a vacation once or twice a year so I can feel that work-life balance. I want to have that work-life balance throughout my week. I want to know that I'm not feeling pressured or feeling like I have to meet a deadline. I like to also have my hands in different projects and do things that are near and dear to me because that really is what motivates me to get up each moment, each morning to know that I'm creating work that's creating a social impact. And I realize like sometimes you're not going to find it in one job. A lot of times I would volunteer or do additional things outside, but now I realize, oh, I can kind of piecemeal my work where I can have different projects where I continue to work with college students or I continue to coach candidates, but it's coming from different contracts and not relying on one company to kind of fulfill that for me. 
I really appreciate the mental shift because right before our interview this morning, I was just reading an article about a study that showed the penalty of being a new mom, whereas new fathers tend to get benefits in terms of being seen as more committed, their salaries tend to go up, etc. Apparently, from before having a child in the first two years, the wage gap between a father and a mother grows by two. And it doesn't get even nor it doesn't get even nor close out until the child hits 10 years old, which I found was like a long time depressing. (laughs) But I, I love how you're shifting that mental framework to do I need to hide it? Do I like there's a gender inequality to proactively finding companies that will help you succeed as a mother yeah my question though is it's really hard to especially the first few non-negotiables that you mentioned in terms of leadership style in terms of collaboration etc it's a bit hard to figure that out just in interviews any tips on how to suss that out <laughs> as as you're going through because the interview should be bi-directional right it should be bi-directional so my number one thing I've learned is it's really important not to wait till the interview to learn about the company like I encourage everyone have a list we all have a list of companies or roles that we want and this is where LinkedIn and tapping in different networking communities is helpful is talk to those people, have coffee chats, have virtual coffee chats, and just ask them, can you share your experience working with this company? Because you're going to get so much more information through that friendly conversation than you will in an interview. And just be very intentional. Like maybe you want to target moms or you want to target women. Like I know on Facebook, there's a group called Mints Moms in Tech. And they're always posting things about children, but they also post things about work Mm -hmm. and work-life balance. But for me, it's like, don't wait till the interview. A lot of folks also wish they would have known a lot of information before getting that job. So they are more than happy to share that. I know when people approach me and ask me about my experience working in different organizations, I'm always happy to share it because I want them to go in well-informed and knowing what their day-to-day is going to be like, and also knowing what should they ask for, what kind of questions they should But I would say broaden your network and just get to know people and just ask them, hey, how has your experience been? Because really, that's the best way you're going to know what that company it's like to work there. If someone tells you they've had a great experience and they've been there for a while, like that's a good sign. But if someone mentions that they're constantly stressed and struggling, you'd probably want to dig deeper and, and figure out like, is it just your department? Is it your work? Because those are, I think, the red flags that even though it's a great company, you have to kind of think like at the end of the day, what's going to help you move forward with your goals? Even if it's a promotion or maybe having work-life balance, like, is this the best choice not only for you, but for you and your family? I'd love to direct the conversation and piggyback off on what you just said. Family is super near and dear. you. And one of the things that we discussed was regarding the opportunity of working in tech in creating 
generational wealth, but also as a first-gen immigrant, the simultaneous burden that's sometimes on our shoulders to support extended family at the same time. What has been your experience? I've been lucky. Like I have a network of folks who are like the first ones in their family. I do know that for many of them, it's hard to share, you know, Hey, I'm helping out my family or I'm not only am I having a salary for myself, but I'm also contributing to family who couldn't maybe pay their school or something along the lines. So for me, like my parents live in the Bay Area. And I think one of the things I wanted was a remote role. So that gives me the capacity to work anywhere. So if something happens to my parents, I could fly out, be with them. That's what happened last year. At the end of last year, my dad was taken to the ER. I didn't have to ask for time off from work. It's like, I'm just going to work over there. But I think what I'm realizing is I wish there was more open discussions about this. I feel like a lot of us feel like we can't share this, you know, because it is a predominantly space where most people identify as white. Most of them come from households where their parents don't have to worry about their future when they retire. But when you're a first gen, it's like most of our parents, like they didn't know that. So they're just hoping for the best and realizing when we retire, we'll figure things out. But I feel like it is coming to a point where a lot of us are just being more open and saying we actually help people in our family and having jobs actually respect that. Like it's not only people that are parents that need time off, but there's folks who have loved ones who need to take time off sometimes to be with their loved ones and recognizing like that's probably going to be more common as our parents get older that most folks don't need just time off for having a kid but they're trying to take care of a parent Mm -hmm. but for me I think that's where tech even before COVID was a different landscape like they were allowing people to work remotely I know some people because of their stocks are able to use that to help their family but I think it's also because we're in this space like being open to talks about money having talks with your parents like should we create an account you know how can we prepare for your future I think it's about us recognizing like we can plan for this and having those difficult conversations about what happens when you, know, you do get sick or something, you're not able to like drive or take yourself to places. Like I know me and my brother, I think I recognize at an early point, like I'm just going to create an account with my parents and in case they need anything, I'm going to put it in there because from their teachings, I just realized I just rather be prepared then wait for the last minute. And savings has always been important. But I think for me, it's, I would like a world where we all share this and talk openly about it, because many times you'll realize you're not the only one doing this. There's so many one-on-one conversations I've had with folks in tech where they will disclose, like, actually, I'm helping my parents or I'm paying their mortgage. And for some reason, we just don't feel comfortable sharing that with our colleagues when we're in the workspace. That's one of the things that Winnie is trying to help out with in terms of reducing the tabooness of money. I, I find it really admirable in you relishing in the joy, the gratitude, the and the ability to support your parents. But in these discussions, 
it also comes up that sometimes there are tensions because you need to balance between preparing for your own future and preparing or supporting your loved ones as much as you want to help them out and they share it when you go on a flight put on your mask first how did you balance or set boundaries if that's the right word so I think for me it's also recognizing what can I contribute I know I'm not the type of kid that'll say I'm going to send my parents on an all-paid vacation but I I can create an emergency fund for them I myself like have life insurance it's something I think once my son was born I recognized like these are key things that's worth spending on. I started like a 401k that I had in my first job and I've continued just to move it around from each job that I've gone to. And I think it's very hard, I know for some of us, but realizing that the best way we can help ourselves out, is like you said, putting your mask on is making sure like we have good savings. You know, most Americans don't have enough savings, like if something were to happen and they didn't have enough money, like for three months. And I think for me, it's always just been ingrained in me, like have something to fall back on. So a lot of times it's recognizing like, what do I need and what do I want? And setting little small goals, like maybe this year I won't take that trip, maybe say, hold off onto it next year, just realizing like, in what ways can I benefit from like a credit card to help me out with, you know, taking trips to the West Coast. A lot of times I just ask people like, hey, what are you doing to save money? You know, what are things that you're doing to help you, you know, grow whatever you need to grow? I think for me, it's just recognizing like, it's okay to ask those questions with friends and also recognizing that especially with your parents, you're right. There's a lot of tension. Like you're not going to be able to cover everything for them. So learning about, well, what programs do they qualify like in their state or in their community that can actually help them if you can't help them. So like being familiar with Medicare, educating yourself on that, educating on the resources, because I realized like as much as I have the good intention, like it also is very hard to carry that on your shoulders. Are there other places that your parents can tap into where they can get that help? Fully true. Like utilize the resources. I also love your commitment to just continuously discussing and sharing and bringing these topics to the surface because we don't know if we are just in silos. It is. And I, and I know it's very difficult, but I think I was watched hearing a podcast like, you know, we can talk about our romantic life with partners. We could talk about work or, you know, with family and, you know, close friends, but why can't we talk about money? Why is money something that folks shy away from? And I think one of the things I learned as I continued my career trajectory is it's really helpful to know what people are making because a lot of times you realize there is bias. It's okay to ask, well, can I ask like, how much are you making or what's your salary range? Because the more you know, the better informed you are. And I think it's also for women, like you have to recognize your worth. So for a lot of women, I tell them, even though you're not looking, if an opportunity comes for you to interview, take it. Because a lot of times you're going to learn what the market for your skills and experience is willing to offer you. And sometimes 
we're not getting that information in our workplaces, we have to get that information from like someone on the outside who's willing to like maybe give us 10K or 15K more. I know from my experience, uh, the more I transitioned to different roles in tech, I remember working in a startup and recognizing like it operates differently. You know, after like three months in the startup, they were like, hey, we want to bump you up to 5K. The other thing that I had challenges was, you know, it was super expensive. The health insurance, you know, I, I mentioned like, wow, this is the most I've ever paid. And once they realized that they're like, you know, we could cover it for you if, if that's going to be helpful. So I think if you don't say anything or ask a lot of times, these are things that actually can be easily worked out or someone can actually share like, Hey, this is how I did. But if you don't ask, you will never know. And I think I'm just a curious person to be quite honest, Minky. Like I frame questions from a place of, you know, I'm not trying to compare. I'm actually trying to better understand how can I do better or be better with my money. So that's why I'm willing to ask those questions because I don't like the fact of why would I remain stuck? You know, it's kind of like when you're in school and you just didn't know how to do something. Either you kept trying to do it, or maybe you could ask a teacher or a classmate and voila, like you understood what was going on because someone kind of took the time to kind of walk you through it. And I think that's just with life and also with money. Like sometimes you need to understand like how people are doing it. And then you realize either it is applicable to their situation or they did steps or tapped into a resource that you probably never knew of. And now you're tapping into it as well. This was fantastic. Thank you so much, Bedelia. This was an honest conversation on a lot of different spectrums. You're welcome. Thank you for asking great questions. A lot of these questions I never would have thought of, but I appreciate the work that you're doing with Winnie and just making these conversations more transparent to let folks know you're not the only one dealing with this. Like, please ask, please look into resources. You know, I, I feel like there's always a solution, but you don't have to feel stuck. Absolutely. And for folks who want to ask you questions, especially for first gen folks who are trying to get into tech, et cetera, where can they find you? The best place to find me is LinkedIn. I tell folks, follow me. I do answer my messages. So you could find me at Padilla Ramirez and send me a message or connect with me. I'd love to connect with more people. Love it. Thank you. You're welcome.